Welcome to the Behold Do Good podcast. I'm your host, Todd Marchant, and this is a show for those who desire increased capacity, the capacity needed to live fully and to show up well for those you love. If your life is anything like ours, you often experience the reality that you don't have much to give when your own cup is empty. These struggles inspired my wife, Ashley, and I to embark on an ongoing journey of healing and wholeness. Our journey has not removed the challenges out of life, but it has given us practical tools to increase our capacity to deal with those challenges and to create the life we want. We created this podcast to share those tools so you can care for yourself and so we can together care for the world. Enjoy the show today. And if you're looking for additional support, head on over to beholdogood.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Behold Do Good podcast. I am honored to be with Ashley Bernardi today. Ashley has become a friend over the last year, and and I've really enjoyed collaborating with you, Ashley. But to, to give a quick background on Ashley's bio, she is an award-winning podcaster and author, a publicist, and a founder of Nardi Media LLC. But I think Ashley, beyond the great you know work that you're doing in all those areas, and and we'll talk more about the the book that you've won some more awards for, Authentic Power, in a little bit. But to me, what has always just been so compelling about you, and why I'm so grateful to have you on the show today, is the the credibility that you have from your life experience. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you, know, you have you have lived it. You've you've gone through trauma, through grief and loss, health crisis, postpartum depression. And then you've turned uh, to others, you've interviewed over 20 different experts on the power of feeling our feelings to heal. And now you're using all of that to give back and to serve in the world. And it's just truly inspiring to me. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that even though it's for many years was very hard to talk about your story, I'm so grateful for you being willing to, to share your story with our audience today. Oh, Todd, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. And, and you know, said so you said the credibility and what came to my mind was, well, yes, it is the credibility I never asked for, but what a gift it has ended up being despite the, um, the journey of trauma. So I'm just so grateful to be here with you today and to share my message with your audience. Thank you, Ashley. So with that, I, I think that's where we should start is, is just thinking about some of these life experiences that, you know, as you mentioned, we would never ask for. And we would never hope on anyone, but after we've gone through many of them, they've become this great gift that helps shape who we've become in a positive way, despite the pain that has been associated with them. And, and really one of the, the kind of grounding places where, you know, many of these, the, the direction of your life took a big change was with your wonderful father and some of the experiences you had there. And so maybe we start there and, and you can share what happened in your childhood. Yeah, no, thank you for giving me the privilege to even talk about my dad. Um, so, you know, I had a, a wonderful childhood. It was my my father, who was an army colonel and an army ranger. So I was considered an army brat. I was a proud military kid. And my mother, who is an entrepreneur, and my little sister, two years younger than me. You know, I was born in Germany. We lived in California and ended up moving to Washington, D.C. for at the Pentagon for my dad's job, of course. Um and, and had a, a really beautiful childhood. I remember 
I had so many memories of growing up in my, my mom owned a very successful dance school in the DC region. And after my dad got off work at the Pentagon, he would come there and, and run the office. And it was like the whole family got to be together, um, both in life, professional life, but in career as well, which I thought was really cool. And later in life ended up being the inspiration for launching my own company. But um, we'll talk about that later. Um, so, you know, it was just, I had a great relationship with my dad and he was my joy and, um, and just, I looked up to him and I didn't see him as this stoic army soldier. I saw him as my playmate, um, because I was a kid and I kind of, I, I still do, you know, I found out after his death that, um, that, you know, he was this stoic man and had a silver star in the Vietnam, which he never even told my mom. And, we never saw him that like that. We got this whole other really fun, um, charismatic, mischievous side of him um, that that um, I don't know if a lot of the world saw. So I'm grateful to share that part of him. So, you know, my life turned completely upside down um, on a Sunday evening, uh, January 22nd, 1995. We recently passed um, that, that anniversary um, a couple days ago. And we had just finished watching a family movie. It was Jaws and my dad was tired. So he went upstairs and started to get ready for bed. And normally he would tuck me in, but that night I, um, I ended up tucking him in and I said, good night, dad. I love you. And those were the last words that I ever spoke to him. And his last words to me were, I love you too, honey. Um, and then from there, you know, I, my mom was tucking me in and we heard um, moaning from my dad's room. Um, what ended up happening was um, he was suffering from a heart attack. And my mom and my nine-year-old sister at the time ran and tag teamed CPR on him while I ran to the phone and called 911. Um, and I remember like my fingers bubbling over 911. Like, is this really happening? I Yeah, I have thoughts about that. And then I, um, ran to get the neighbors for help. And like, after that, we ended up at the hospital somehow. I think the neighbors drove my sister and I, and they were like, you know, everything's going to be okay. And I was like, wow, I was in sixth grade at the time. Like, what a story am I going to have to tell my friends tomorrow? This is crazy. You know, you just don't think that you're, you had the, the sweet, sweet innocence of a child. Um, and, uh, we got to the hospital and, um, I remember just, you know, it's like that, that beautiful pink calming room with the calm lights and the lamps that they send you to when they have bad news to give you at the hospital, which I didn't know that at the time. Um, I had family members start showing up because I had, um, we had a lot of our family here. My, my dad's sister was here. My mom's cousin who I called my uncle was here. So we did have family start showing up in the room. My sister and I are like waiting very innocently and patiently to go see dad and um, my mom came in and said that, you know, she came in with my aunt and said that he had gone to heaven. And that was the biggest shock of my life. It still shocks me, um, to be honest. Like, I still get teary-eyed because I can picture the moment 28 years ago, um, disbelief, incomplete disbelief and not believing it. Um denying it like there's no way he was my best friend he was my playmate um so that's when my entire life changed um i after that i uh i i i as an 11 year old had a challenge processing what happened 
um, I was put, you know, uh, there were grief counselors who advised my mom to put me back to normal, just send her back to school a week later and act like everything is normal, get her back to normal. That was the theme. Of course, mental health issues were not really talked about in the 90s. Like it was just like, get them back to normal, dust it on the rug, nothing ever happened. Um, so that's what I did. I went back to school a week later and it, everything was the same, yet it wasn't. It was different. Like all the kids in school, everything was the same, but I would come home and dad wasn't there. And it was just a really sad, depressing place to be. Um, you know, and this is despite me having so much love and support around me, my, my grandparents, um, my mom's side is Italian. So, you know, that's a big family thing. My mom, um, my grandparents moved in with us for a period of time. My mom's brother ended up buying the house next door to us. Like just, we had a lot of family support, but oh God, I felt so alone. And also the grief was, um, way too uncomfortable to experience. So I just didn't, I just buried it down. Um, ended up going to a different school for seventh grade and, um, God, I almost failed out of seventh grade. I went to two different schools in seventh grade and, um, was getting horrible grades, was acting out, but it was, I know it was because I was this child in just deep, extraordinary guttural, pain. And I wasn't giving myself permission to feel that pain. Um, even though it was probably safe for me to do, I was in a very loving, supported family with my, especially with my grandparents there. But for whatever reason, my soul was not ready to experience the pain and the grief. So I went living a majority of my life bearing that pain. And, um, what, it, what it, looks like what I've learned when you bury pain is that it comes out in other ways. When you bury trauma, it comes out in other ways. How did it come out for me? Oh, lying, dishonesty, people pleasing, um, you know, destructive relationships with men, destructive relationships with alcohol, even though I wore a mask of strength. So if you had looked at me in high school and even in college on paper, I looked like I was fine. I was secretary of my class. I was captain of the dance team in college. I was president of my sorority. So it's like, Ashley's fine. She's, she's, she's got, oh no, underneath, I was so lonely and I could never really figure out why. Um, so I went on living like this, like even after college, I got a job. I was a journalist at CBS News. I worked like a maniac. I was addicted to work. I was like a, a staple employee because I would do anything and everything possible. But what I found later in life is that I just didn't want to sit still and sit with my feelings. No mm. surprise there. So it wasn't until, well, so I'm going to stop myself there because that was the first trauma and that was a big trauma, but there was, there was more that happened that led to where I am today. Again, Ashley, thank you. Thank you for your openness and, and your vulnerability with us. And as I, as I just listen you know, to your story, the first thing I want to say is just, I want to honor your, your dad. Yeah. It sounds like he was just such a, a, a wonderful man and, and the influence that he had on you and the approach that he took, even from what his background was to come and just show up for his family the way he did. We're, we're just a few days away from the anniversary of his passing. And I think the first thing is just to honor him and his goodness and the legacy that he's left. And so I think of him, my heart is was with him and your family. But in addition, you know, you mentioned the, the lack of readiness to feel and experience pain. 
And I think as a child, I mean, it's, it's so easy to realize how hard that would be, especially something this significant where, you know, you mentioned your life changed forever. And, and I think there's no way to really give the weight to those words that they actually have, like how much that, that experience drastically would change everything. Uh, but I also think about, you know, even as an adult, when we experience these really difficult traumatic things that uh, cause very deep, uncomfortable emotions, very painful emotions, when we don't have the tools, the understanding of how to respond to them, it, it's almost like, of course, we avoid them because yeah. we don't know what to do with them. Right. And and so I, I'm really grateful for the day we live in now where it's starting to emerge so much more. Well, what are those things? You know, how can we deal with these uncomfortable emotions in a way that that becomes liberating and freeing? But you know, we'll get again, we'll get into that in a minute because that's where your journey ends up going. Uh, but you know, you had that first trauma that's influenced so many decisions and so many behaviors that you had as a teenager in college, in the relationships that you had. And continued just to avoid and bury and suppress those those feelings. And I'm grateful for the examples you gave of, you know, how what does that often look like? That was actually one of the questions I was going to ask you, but you gave, you know, some of those those examples. But I guess my next question is, is as you look back and observe, like what effect, and this this actually goes into your second trauma, by not addressing those those hard feelings, by burying them or avoiding them. You know, ultimately, what was the impact to your life? Like, <laughs> yeah, it'll lead into the next, the next trauma for sure. <laughs> um, I, I, when you, what I've learned is that when you bury your trauma and your feelings, it's gonna come out in other ways. Like I said, people pleasing, of course, outwardly ways, but physical ways, and then that's what happened. So, um, you know, I, you know, up until I was in my early thirties, I had never given myself permission to really grieve and feel for my father's death. Sure. I went to the funeral, but up until when I was in my thirties, I had visited his grave maybe once or twice in 15, 20 years. And I really never talked to my mom or sister about it either. Like just, it was just way like, it's like, I didn't want to even open up that door because it was so painful. Um, and I was scared to go there. So, um, like, yeah, I just, even friends in high school, I remember my first boyfriend, I didn't even tell him that my dad had died. Like he found out from someone else who was like close to me. It's just, I did not talk about it. So, um, I went living like this. I worked like a maniac at CBS news. I ended up getting a job as a producer. I loved my job. I've always been a broadcaster and I met the love of my life, Mike. And we were married very quickly. We had Alyssa, our, our, our baby, within the first year of marriage. And um, and then after that, we had another healthy kid, Kate. And um, I still was not addressed. At that point, motherhood was keeping me busy. So I didn't have to address any hard, uncomfortable feelings because I was happy wife, doing all the things, people pleasing my way through life just to avoid how I was really feeling. And then Scarlett, my third one, came along and I was pregnant with her. Uh, and in between Kate and Scarlett, I had started developing some really uncomfortable, weird symptoms. Um, like I had like stomach issues. I started losing weight. And then when I went, I got pregnant again with Scarlett, the symptoms went away. What I found out later is that your immune system kind of goes quiet oftentimes when you're, when you're, um, 
when you're pregnant. And then the day Scarlett was born, I had so many symptoms come back with a vengeance. And I mean, I, um, my blood pressure dropped dangerously low in the hospital. Um, I was extraordinarily dehydrated. I had, I went, I got sent home from the hospital with a fever. Um, I started and this progressed, like I had a newborn and then I just kept getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Like my immune system was shutting down. I had vertigo. I felt like I was having fainting spells. I had panic attacks. Um, I, I lost all my pregnancy weight probably within four weeks because I couldn't keep anything down. I had to stop nursing. Um, I had, I started seeing flashing lights in my vision. So like I started just not being able to see, and sometimes it would just completely black out and sometimes it would just spin. I could never explain how. And then I had extraordinary nerve pain up and down all up and down my body. Um, and that that is really when I I had I had just reached the rock bottom. There were doctors. I saw so many doctors. So many, so many doctors could not figure out what it was. I was diagnosed with IBS, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia. Um, many doctors told me that I just needed to go see a psychiatrist. That it was all in my head, and I can't tell you how that demoralized how demoralizing that felt. So while this is all happening, um, I was diagnosed with. Um, severe postpartum depression and anxiety. And I was put in a part-time mental health hospitalization program to address um, my mental health issues, which great, that needed to happen. But that was not the only thing that was happening. My body was shutting down. Like, and let me just paint a picture of like how much it was shutting down. I was at one doctor and they were running some blood tests on me. They ran the test. And then I suddenly started blacking out. And um, I, I laid down and I saw nothing but black, but I was still there. And I lost complete control of my bowels. So I just started peeing everywhere. My body was just shedding or shutting down. It was crazy. My mom was with me. I had a three month old baby at the, no, maybe two or three month old baby at the time. They had the doctor's office had to call 911 to get me an ambulance and take me to the hospital. The hospital couldn't figure out what was wrong with me and they stabilized me and sent me home. And I'll never forget that day because my husband took the three kids to his parents' house because I was like, I do not want the kids to see me like this. And I remember praying to God. I was like, God, just take me. If this is what life's going to be like, please, like, this is not fair to my children to see me like this. This is not fair to me. Take me. And I remember I like crawled back up to bed that day. And I found that while I was like grieving my, my health, I suddenly started missing my dad and grieving for my dad. <laughs> and that's, that was the door opener. That was like the key. It was like, I had taken it key and unlocked it and started to open the door. Um, and what happens when you like open the door? Like I was like, I want to shut it, but I can't because I want to see what else is in there. And that got me on my journey to healing. So later, um, I would say probably about a month later, my mother-in-law and I started like a little bit of healing. I had started to get into like holistic healing. My mother-in-law was like, okay, there's just one more doctor I want you to try. And I was like, all right, I'll entertain everybody by going to one more doctor because I've gone to 30 at this point. My husband went with me. I told her all my symptoms and she looked at me and she was like, I think you have Lyme disease and Lyme disease for your listeners is, um, a tick borne illness that, um, it, it's, it can, um, it can make you really sick and, and it can be fatal. Um, especially if it's not diagnosed. 
In my case, it had gone undiagnosed for a month, possibly years. They're not quite sure. And she said, I'm, um, you're so far gone. I'm going to, instead of treating you with a normal antibiotic, you're going to need a pick line, which is essentially a line from your arm to your heart that um, administers IV antibiotics every day. So with that, I did not, and I said, okay, let's do it. I'm open to like anything. Um, we had to move in with my in-laws because I was so sick. And I also, with a pick line, you can't lift a baby. You can't lift anything heavier than 15 pounds, uh, if I remember correctly. So I had that pick line in for eight weeks. We lived with my in-laws. I had a home nurse come to the house once a week. My husband um, administered the, the it was, they gave me the highest dose of antibiotics possible on the market. That's what they gave me. And I slowly started feeling a little bit better. But here's what I say. And this is an important part of my book, Authentic Power. Um, that physical feeling, healing was only a tiny part of that journey. Because in that time where I was sick, I started feeling all of the emotions and trauma from my childhood. And so I, at the same time, I, while I was like allowing myself to like really feel and grieve for my health, I found myself simultaneously grieving for my father. And, and that looked like a lot of different things. It was a lot of journaling. It was a lot of praying. It was um, a lot of screaming and crying and just the crying that I never got out in all the years after I lost him, I was getting out then. And so that is really where and when my healing journey begins, like from 11 years old to 31 or 32, Scarlet 7, so 32 32, from age 11 to 32, I had a lot of healing to do. And that's where it began um, with the Lyme disease diagnosis and just the breakdown and, and, and kind of coming to the realization that I'm not just grieving my health, I'm grieving my dad. Man, uh, Ashley, as you know, you know, my family and I were right in the newborn stage right now. And, you know, we just very joyfully welcomed a, a new baby to our family. But that alone, I mean, the transition and the effort required to have, you know, a new child and to adjust your family dynamic uh, is is a lot. And I can't even imagine all of that that you're describing right in the midst of that same time period of bringing your third child into the world. And uh, just just what what an intense time. And, you know, it's interesting as I think about our audience and this idea of trauma. And I think it's something that maybe we even over have started to overuse. But as we think about, you know, trauma and what it really is, there's so many varying levels of that. And some of them are the very, very significant, but really any, any very highly stressful period of life experience can leave its marks in a traumatic way. Yeah. And, and it can be something that we then, you know, the, the emotions, the difficult emotions that arise because of those experiences can very easily be buried and, and start to affect us, as you've mentioned in these other ways. And so I think this is something that when we think about trauma, not many of us, you know, lost a, a parent in our childhood in front of our eyes, you know, in the way that, that, that you did, but all of us have experienced trauma in some way in our life. And so it's very, very widely applicable. And I think uh, at least from my experience and observations, it's very common that we just kind of live our life the way that we we do to try to cope and deal with it. And most of us at some point have some form of a wake-up call. Now, your wake-up call was pretty intense. 
uh, and, and woke you up to this realization of needs that you have that were unmet, uh, opportunities of uh, things that you could do and feel and experience to experience life differently and to heal. Uh, but what's interesting is as significant as those wake up calls can be and the way they open our mind to new possibilities and, and put us on a new path, the wake up calls themselves don't do the work for us of healing and, and creating change in the way that we're responding to our difficult emotions, the way we're responding to the challenges of our life, to our patterns of communication, our patterns of behavior you know, the, the effort it required to do that is still the same. The wake up call maybe helps point us toward it, realize that it's there, give us some motivation, but it's hard to even maintain that motivation when you're in the middle of then the difficulty of trying to do things different. And so I would just love to hear your perspective on what, what helped you after that wake up call to just commit to the path of healing and to, to pursue it and to take one step at a time when oftentimes those steps are so hard and so painful and sometimes feel like you're, you're going backwards in life as you're you know yeah. progressing in that process. And so, yeah, any, any thoughts that you have there? I have so many thoughts on that. Um, and like, before I answer that, I just want to say, cause you mentioned something very, very important that I want your your listeners to know, you know, you're right. We all have trauma. And when people say to me like, Oh, Ashley, I never had anything like you had. Okay. Fair. Because my story is different from yours. And we have all had trauma, whether it's at work or an argument with a friend, you name it, everyone has it. Um, I recently heard trauma and strong, instead of calling trauma, you know, or something, a diagnosis, post-traumatic stress disorder, it's starting to be called now more in the medical world, post-traumatic stress injury, which feels so right to me mm. because it's an injury. And when you get injured, what do you do? You take care of your cut. You, 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 um, you take care of your wound, you clean it, you dress it, right? A broken leg is the same. And so I think it's like really looking at it now. I look at it as if I, I've had that major injury and um, I had to, to take care of myself in order to heal from it and the other major injury of the health crisis. So what did healing from that injury of trauma look like? One is like walking through it and dealing with it. Um, and in my book, I talk a lot about it and I've interviewed folks. Um, trauma can elicit primal emotions. And what I've learned about primal emotions, anger, grief, all of those uncomfortable emotions is that they're there for a reason. They're our birthright. They're, they're here for us to be felt. And so I started to give myself permission to cry. I used to never like want to cry. I would just cry. Now I cry like this podcast is making me tear up and I just go whenever I feel it, I give myself permission to feel it. Um, in my healing journey, I also learned how to scream. If anyone has never done this, like I took a breath work course where the, the, um, the moderator was like, okay, um, like tell your, to give your pets and your kids a warning. I want you to let out a scream. I can't tell you how good yet, how primal that felt for me. So the first thing I will say is that all feelings are God given, right? They're all here for us to learn something from, to help move through difficult times, um, and to process. So that's one of the things that if anything has helped me the most is just giving myself permission to feel all the feelings, no matter how uncomfortable it may be, but also doing so in a safe and supportive way. Because I will say this. So in the past, 
I would say, oh, I'm starting to feel like, you know, um, grief again. What am I going to do to numb it? And that's what we do, right? And everyone wants to numb their emotions through alcohol, addictions, cigarettes, binge watching social media, binge watching TV. Those are not supportive ways to move through your emotions. It's actually blocking your emotions. My, what I found in my process is actually doing so in a way that feels very gentle and loving and supportive to you. And I think that can look different for everyone. For me, I experienced, I, um, I experimented with all different ways. So the first, one of the first ways was through meditation. I had never, I'm not, I was never a meditator. I was a network TV producer who was flying by the seat of my pants every single day. Um, I first started a meditation course in my early days of my Lyme disease diagnosis. And I remember it was like Oprah and Deepak and 30 or 21 day meditation. That first day, I swear, Todd, I sat for 30 seconds and I was like, screw that. I am out. I can't sit here. But I didn't give up. I said, I'm just going to keep trying because all the experts, all the doctors say that, that this really works. So first week, 30 seconds. Second week, one minute meditation. Third week, started to get a little bit longer. Now, here I am seven, seven years later, I could sit and meditate all day if someone asked me to, but <laughs> I've got kids and stuff. So that was one of the first things is getting quiet, getting still, noticing what comes up and allowing whatever comes up to just be. And I think that's so powerful because instead I would, in the past, I would bat it down through alcohol or like relationships or even work addictions. Just like, nope, 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 nope. I still don't want to, I don't want to do that. I still find myself doing that some days too with work. Like I love my job. And if I have like need to go process something and deal with something, I, I start to notice now if I'm like, hold on, what am I working so hard for? What am I, what am I needing to address? So that's where I had this revelation after my healing journey of going through the pandemic and realizing that we were all in a collective trauma at that time. And when we were going through the pandemic, I was like, by damn, I will not allow this to be my third trauma that I have not processed and moved through. So every single day while we were all stuck at home, I would wake up sit on my yoga mat, cry, do my yoga, do my journal, allow everything to move through me. We were all scared. We were all in despair. And what I found was like, Ashley, you've got this process for what, how you deal with these things it's called, I, and I created just feeling the feel framework. First, focus on how you're feeling. What might that emotion be? You might not even be able to label it. That's okay. Where is it showing up in your body? Next is enter within that emotion. And that's where I think most people stop themselves because they're like, oh, ah, uh, nope, I don't want to feel that grief. I don't want to feel that sadness. I don't want to go there. But my invitation is to go there, enter. And then the next is experience that emotion. How are you going to allow yourself to experience that emotion in a safe, supportive, and loving way for you? It looks different for everyone. Experiencing emotions for me looks like this, talking it out. It also looks like journaling. It also looks like meditating. Based on what I'm feeling, it may look like crying. It may look like feeling sad, but actually laughing. It's just whatever comes up. Um, it's a meditative state for me. For you, it could be journaling. It could be talking. It doesn't matter. And then lastly is always get curious about what those emotions are here to teach us. So learn 
listen, learn, and love that emotion back. Like I said, all these emotions are primal. They are our God-given gift. No matter how uncomfortable they may be, you know, people say negative emotions. I don't even see them as negative. I just think they're emotions that are meant to be there to help us move through and process life in a safe and loving way. So that's where I came up with my whole feel framework. Um, there's a lot of other things that I did. I'm going to stop myself there, but um, yeah, that was a I, I wanna, oh, that was wonderful, Ashley. Wonderful, <laughs> and I, I there's so many thoughts. I can't even keep them organized here as as you're going through. You know, one of the things that I you didn't call out specifically, but I think is a really really important point. You know, we go through these healing journeys, and there really is healing that takes place. You know, sometimes we wonder if there is a better future. Can we can we feel and experience our life differently? But as we go through step by step, and as you mentioned, you know, it's one little change at a time. Like that's how change happens is not through these big heroic things. It's one little bit at a time. And, and so we start small. And as we take one step, we just try to take the next step. And, and eventually it takes us to a place where uh, amazing, like healing that astounds you can take place to where your life looks so different. Uh, and yet what I think you brought up uh, in, in a subtle way is that doesn't stop hard things from happening. You know, oh. as we experience healing, sometimes we think, well, great. Now this is how the rest of life is going to be is feeling good. Like I'm feeling now, but, but life doesn't work that way. You know, life has a way of, of having different, you know, times and seasons of life. We have the summer times of our life and we have the winter times of our life and it cycles. And so other hard things happen, whether it's a global pandemic and in the case of the entire human race or the own individual pandemics that we experience in our life that, that come in those seasons. But what I think is important is it, we're not arriving to a, you know, a, a place of, constant eternal bliss as we're here you know in in our life we're arriving at a place where we we know how to respond yes. when those things happen when those seasons come that are more difficult when those experiences occur that that are you know we 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 wouldn't wish for we wouldn't hope for we know what to do to be able to process and to to be supported emotionally through those experiences and, and that's certainly been the case for us. And I, I think about, you know, what you mentioned with, uh, you know, loving, loving each emotion and realizing each has a purpose. You know, our, our family, my wife and I are going to record actually a, a podcast episode together over the next week or two. We might even air it before this one uh, goes publicly because it will tell more of our story. And we had, you know, our, our kind of foray into wellness and to the research and into you know, practices of healing. You know, there's a whole set of difficult experiences that led to that. And we were at this point where it was just like life was feeling really good. We were more in a rhythm of life than we'd ever been. We were feeling really good. Uh, and then, and then we lost a child, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about that in that experience today is not the time to go into much detail with that, but we had a stillborn baby. And the grief that came with that has just been an ongoing thing, you know, and, and I, this is now my line of work. This is my life's work, my passion. And yet, man, it's hard and it's painful. And at times it feels like we're just struggling. Uh, but there is an awareness of things that we can have agency for ways that in the moment when those waves of grief come, there are things that we can turn to. 
to help us, you know, in those and, and, uh, and to keep moving forward in life and in a positive and healthy way. And so I, I'm just grateful, you know, for each of those things that you said and, and your field framework has been part of that, you know, being able to recognize and be present and still, you know, with those things. Yeah. And oh gosh, and your story, you know, I know so hard, but, but so thankful that, that you're sharing this and opening up to me and to everyone about just your own personal grief. Um, and you're right. It, grief comes in waves. Uh, I'm standing here telling you 28 years later, I still miss my dad and cry about my dad, but here is how I now respond to that grief. I embrace it. Grief is a dance. Um, I have a relationship with my father now, even in death. Um, I have seen his gravesite multiple times now. I have gone by myself. I have sat there. I have talked to him. I've had some pretty incredible experiences. Um, I used to never have pictures of my father up around my house. Now my dad is front and center in my living room and my kids talk about him. Um, he is very much a part of my life now. It's a different relationship. Um, but it's one that feels supportive to me while also allows me to grieve him too. So I just wanted to call out to that for you. And just with the waves, it comes and goes. And there's days that it feels like I never lost him. It days that, that I feel like I've always lost him. There's days that it feels like he died yesterday. And I just like let that move through me and talk to him and pray with him and journal to him and look at pictures of him and talk to him. Talk about him to other people is the greatest gift to even create this space for my father, for you to say, I just want to honor your dad. That feels so warm and nurturing to me and is a beautiful way to process the grief that I still feel and have within me. So just thank you for all of that. Oh, and, and I appreciate you saying those things. You know, it's interesting. We got together even over this last weekend with another couple who who recently had a stillborn child. And how healing it was just to talk about our babies, you know, yeah. to talk about, you know, our, our son and then talk about their daughter, you know, to allow them to be a part of life, a part of our conversation, to honor them with our words and our, our life choices. So I think, I think as we, uh, you know, come to the close of our conversation here, you know, Ashley, there's, there's maybe one other element of your work that I, I think is helpful to call out you know, as we think about the processing of difficult emotions, there is a skill set and a, a practice that we have to develop about being able to be still and be present and mindful and allow ourselves to feel without judgment or criticism, uh, allow ourselves to, to, you know, sit with the discomfort physically that comes with those emotions. And, and then ultimately to, to change the way we're thinking, you know, about those things and responding to them. But you also talk about this idea of the well-being wheel that <laughs> that we are we are you know one interconnected whole to me is is kind of a foundational principle of that work that that any part of of who we are as we address needs that we have in one part of us and influences all the rest of us yes. and so there i think especially when dealing with very difficult emotions or past traumas or grief it has, in my experience, been so important for me to focus not just on my being present with my emotions and giving myself permission to feel, but giving myself the support to do that difficult work, that difficult healing work by, by addressing other important needs that I have in my life that are not directly connected 
to the emotion itself. And so maybe, maybe just talk to us for a minute about the, the line of thinking behind the, you know, your well-being wheel and, and the principle there. I love that. So the well-being wheel is transformational and it actually came to me from my amazing mentor, Julie Riesler. Um, she is my life coach. I got my life coaching certification in her program. She's featured in my book. She's the author of Get a PhD in You. And when I went through this in her program, I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is transformational. I mean, think about it. When is the last time we've actually sat down and looked like at different facets of our life? So the well-being wheel does just that. It's so simple. So take a piece of paper right now for anyone that's listening. Draw a circle. Draw a big circle around it. And in um in each you're going to have in different sections of the circle different categories: presence and play and pleasure purpose, personal development, your wallet and purse, prayer and spirituality, pay it forward, and passion. You can also just do this by writing each of these down. And then I want you to sit and meditate on each of these. So let's say starting with the category of presence. Where is presence showing up in my life right now? Am I feeling like it's a 10? I've got a lot of presence or is it a one? I'm not feeling very present in my life. And this isn't to judge yourself. And I would say, don't even think about it. Just what's the number that's coming up for you with presence. So you go through this exercise with each category, and then you take a look back at your wheel and you're like, wow, I've got a lot going on in passion, but I really want to just, I need to focus on my purse and wallet, but that might not be something that you even knew that you wanted or needed to do until it actually shows up for you. So I'm a visual person through and through. And so for anyone that is looking to do a visual audit of just where they're at in their life, this is a perfect exercise to do. You can do it once a month, once a quarter, once a year, it doesn't matter. I love doing them anytime I feel called and inspired. I might even do one after our, our interview today just to see where I'm at, but it's a great way to check in with yourself. And that's something that I feel like in our busy world, we don't do enough is just checking in, just pausing and checking in on where I'm at in my life. How am I feeling about how am I showing up in the world for myself? And, and so that's the well-being wheel. I encourage everyone to try it. Um, I believe you can check out Julie Research's website, but I just gave it to you here. So just write it down and you can do it. It's an incredible tool um, that I would encourage everyone to tap into, especially if you're not sure where you want to get started on perhaps giving yourself permission to feel or take a little closer look at your life or getting still. The well-being wheel is a perfect place to start. Awesome. That was that was perfect. Thank you, Ashley. So in, in closing, you know, you titled the name of your book, Authentic Power. And in that book, you know, you go through uh, this whole story that you've summarized, you know, little tidbits of today. You talk about the field framework, you talk about other, you know, tools and, and stories of healing, but you, you call it authentic power. And, and maybe just as, as kind of some closing remarks for our interview today, I'd love for you to describe what that means to you, what authentic power means. And as, as our you know listeners, as, as my wife and my family and I, and anyone engages in this healing work of learning to be present with our emotions, to give ourselves permission to feel and process them. How does that give us authentic power? Oh my gosh. Thank you for asking this. So giving ourselves permission to feel, you remember I was talking about that key with the door 
the permission to feel part is the key. And then like our, our, our body, our soul, our mind, body, spirit, that's the door. Once you allow yourself permission to feel, you open up that door to authentic power. To me, authentic power is that divine wisdom that we all have within us. It's our, it's our divine essence. It's our, our divine essence. It's our true nature. It's our true calling. It's that wisdom, that voice inside you that tells you where you should be going and what you should be doing. It's that access of intuition. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that I can tell you now I'm living in my authentic power in my truth. It can also be seen as just, I'm living my truth. I, I'm a completely different person today than I was seven, seven years ago. I am, I am complete. I have completely transformed my life. In essence, I feel like I've been reborn because I've learned how to access my authentic power, which I really believe is that wisdom within us, that divine wisdom from that we can access from a spiritual point at any time in our lives. The first key to accessing it, is giving yourself permission to feel. It clears that fog. It clears um, the fog that we're meant to process to get to that authentic power that we're meant to access. Oh, that's so powerful. And and really, you know, I look at the example of your life, Ashley, and you've been a successful entrepreneur and businesswoman and and mother and wife. You know, you you've done a lot of ac- accomplished things in your life prior to giving yourself permission to feel, mm-hmm. and yet there's just this sense that you can feel within you that you're living this higher purpose, this higher calling, this, this tapping into your unique gifts in a way that's serving the world in a really beautiful way. And, and so I think that to me is, is just a great example of authentic power and how it's been unleashed as you've gone through the process of giving yourself permission to feel. And so thank you. Thank you, Ashley, for your example. Thank you for your words of wisdom and your openness and vulnerability and authenticity with us today. And just grateful to have you as, as a friend of Behold Do Good. Thank you so much, Todd. Appreciate you and all of your listeners. Uh, just this has been a wonderful conversation. Thanks for listening to the show today. I'm very grateful for individuals like Ashley who have done so much of the difficult healing work in their own life that they're able to be powerful guides to the rest of us. If you would benefit from more support from Ashley, she is one of five amazing instructors in our Processing Difficult Emotions course. The course allows you to focus in on an area of deep personal importance to you and to develop the skills of processing difficult emotions in the context of progressing that deeply important part of your life. Each of our courses includes an integrated peer community that provides a warm and personalized environment for encouragement, insight, collaboration, and inspiration. Learning how to process difficult emotions can feel overwhelming, which is why we've studied with BJ Fogg, a world's leading behavioral scientist out of Stanford, to use his proven behavior change methods throughout the course. The result is desired life changes in your emotional well-being are able to be broken down into tiny shifts that compound into the changes you hope for. If you'd like to learn more or join the waitlist for our next cohort of the course, visit beholddogood.com.